Hello everyone and welcome to Autism Stories. I'm your host Doug Bletcher, the founder of Autism Personal Coach. Autistic people are the true experts of the autistic experience and Autism Stories where we interview autistic people to learn from their stories, experiences, and get their advice. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We would also appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories. Something with Autism Personal Coach that we focus on very often is helping people getting the things that they want and need. That's why on today's episode of Autism Stories, I'm thrilled to talk with Nicole LeBlanc. Nicole discusses with me how she has supported the disability community in advocating for their wants, needs, and improving the quality of their lives throughout her career. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us today. So glad to be here on a rainy day. Live <laughs> from Silver Spring, Maryland. I wanted to uh, start out and learn where does your story in the autism community begin? Well, my name is Nicole Blank. I was I'm originally from Vermont. I moved to the D.C. region August 2016. I was diagnosed with autism at 21 during my time at Job Corps, which was a traumatic experience. I've had a gazillion labels throughout my life. Worked in the disability policy advocacy field. It's October 2007. Currently, I serve as a PAL Group Coordinator for the National Center Advancing Person-Centered Practices. I'm also a self-advocate advisor for TASH, and I also serve on a bunch of other advisory committees and do other consulting projects, actively looking for consulting jobs. You, you mentioned you're the coordinator of the Person-Centered Advisory and Leadership Group. Something you do is help with uh, the uh, development of cognitively accessible project materials and resources that they, they reflect the experiences of people with disabilities. What are some of the common challenges that you see to materials and resources that, you, that cause them to be inaccessible? Small print, you know, material is not written in, you know, fourth to sixth grade level is ideally for, you know, making stuff easy enough to read and understand for the average dude on the street. Most people with developmental disabilities read between four to sixth grade level. I mean, yeah, I can read up to 12th grade level, but if you go up to over, if you give me something that's over 12th grade, I'm not going to know what it is. So a lot of materials need to be in, more so in plain language. Uh-huh, plain language, large print, 14 to 16 font minimum, double-spaced, you know, have pictures, graphics, focus on the need-to-know, not the nice-to-know, spell out acronyms, you know, avoid the gobbledygook, just, you know, get to the point, keep it short, sweet, and simple. Definitely. Where do you where do you see us now in 2021 in terms of, of, of materials in including plain language. We have a long ways to go. The 
between, you know, making material plain language, between making websites accessible, between making meetings accessible. Like, this vaccine rollout is not very accessible. Most of the people, you know, me, I got lucky. I, you know, got in at a clinic, and I'm going to get my second shot Wednesday through an agency that, you know, I happen to have a bunch of professional connections with and social capital. However, most... Many of the other people with disabilities that I know in my region are having difficulty or signing up online, calling around, getting busy signals, website crashing. You know, the disability community is high risk during this pandemic and getting a vaccine should not be dependent, how fast you get a vaccine should not be, be dependent on who has the largest social network, who has the, you know, loudest, ad, loudest and strongest advocates in their life. We need equity. Now, for those that may not be familiar with person-centered practices, can you talk about um, what they are and how they may be helpful to neurodivergent folks? The focus, person-centered practices focus on important to and important for. You know, it's about making the system, you know, person-centered in that it promotes self-determination, dignity of risk, high expectations. You know, whereas, you know, for years the system has been system-centered, you know, all about risk-adverse liability. I know what's best for you. You need to live in a group home. You need to learn to clean your house before you, I don't know, go get a job. You know, you need a guardian. That is system-centered. And, you know, we need to move away from segregated settings. COVID is showing us that segregated settings are dangerous and hazardous to our health. Excluding people with disabilities from your community is hazardous. And COVID is also teaching us that if we all live long enough, we'll all join the disability club. COVID is basically, you know, making, almost making the non-disabled world disabled in some sense. Given, you know, you know, high unemployment, you know, boredom, routine disruption, some, you know, high rates of, we're seeing higher rates of anxiety, something that is always being hypervigilant, on edge, which is no different to many of us in the disability community. They're always worrying about, you know, health and whatnot. Now, now, you've been working on self-advocacy projects uh, in support of the disability community for well over a decade now. What has been the impact that working on these projects has had on your life personally? Well, let's see. We've got the ABLE Act passed, state and federal, which allows people with disabilities to save money without losing benefits. And we need to continue to expand the ABLE Act raised the age to 46 so that people who became disabled at 27, let's say, can open an account, save money, and not lose their benefits. We need to end work disincentives and Social Security disability insurance and all public benefit programs, eliminate benefit cliffs, something that's going to, if we get the $15 minimum wage, is going to become more common. Benefit cliff is where you make enough money to you know, go off public benefits like SSI, food stamps, but not enough to be self-sufficient. Now in Ohio, I'm the chair of a disability voting subcommittee. So I'm really interested in something you did prior to working at the National Center on Advancing Person-Centered Practices. So for over eight plus years, uh, you worked at Green Mountain Self-Advocates in Vermont as advocacy director, supporting peers with disabilities to feel comfortable talking to elected officials about their needs. What are some helpful things 
um, those you feel like those peers learn that help them to talk with elected officials? I think, you know, generally, you know, learning elevator speeches, learning how to, you know, communicate with the media, tell your story, make it, you know, talk about the impact of budget cuts on your developmental services or the impact of, or a reason why we need to, you know, pass laws to get rid of the R word and state statutes. Uh, I'm also the author of a book called Disability Employment Policy 101 that I did as a SARTEC fellow at National Disability Rights Network. Now more than ever, we need advocates speaking up, making the case to end sub-minimum wage, 14C. We are this close, but right now there's uh, people that want to keep 14C are, you know, jamming the phones of Congress, so we need to fight our opposition. And 14C, all people with disabilities can live and work in the community with support. No one is too disabled to live and work in the community. As my friend Chester Finn says, seminum wage is slavery. Nobody should be paid pennies. And you and you um, have created a booklet on advocating for these types of policies yes. uh, called Real Jobs for Real Pay. Can you talk a little bit about that? Uh, the booklet on disability employment policy 101, it talks about you know the history of competitive integrated employment. It has stats to show how work affects your benefits, how family expectations and self-advocacy impact employment outcomes. Like peer support is essential when it comes to closing chapter workshops and people will miss their friends. So invest in a robust self-advocacy network. You know, parents need to learn from day one when they have a kid with a disability to have high expectations. It's not doom and gloom just because your kid's autistic or whatever. You know, autism is not a disease. It's not cancer. It's one thing that drives me crazy when I hear people say, oh, Having a kid with autism is like dealing with cancer. I'm like, excuse me? In, in thinking about employment, one of the big concerns is disclosing uh, your diagnosis or asking for accommodations, whether it's a supervisor or maybe with a, a job coach. What advice do you have or what rights should people be aware of if they want that information to not be shared beyond just talking with a supervisor or job coach? Now just making sure the employer, you know, keeps stuff that, you know, you disclose secret. You know, make sure you maintain control over the information. And of course, you know, you got stigma depending on, you know, if you have ability invisible or versus visible. So just being, really being upfront with like the supervisor or job coach that you want that information yeah like if you have a job coach you know make sure your job coach knows is don't go talk to my supervisor without me As somebody who's had job coaching before when i lived in montpelier vermont you know i'm a person first you know i'm not somebody to be you know people with disabilities not be looked down to we're not children you know we need to move away from you know treating people just as kids Move away from low expectation syndrome. You know, move away from ableism. We need a vaccine for ableism, racism, in addition to this whole entire pandemic. That's the vaccine that's missing, the vaccine for ableism and racism. You know, when I look back at the last four or five years, I never thought, you know, our society was so racist and obnoxious towards, you know, diversity. I never thought I would see something like this. And it's been quite traumatizing. Especially when I went to, when I was 21, I went to a place called Job Corps where everybody was saying the N-word and a bunch of nasty slurs. And I'm like, okay, is this how people act in the real world? 
like grew up as a kid sheltered, overprotected. My advice for parents, do not overprotect your kids with disabilities. It will backfire in the real world. Are there any like specific things that you feel like parents um, could or should do in order to t kind of take those steps not to kind of shelter their, their kids? Well, you need to learn to, you know, support your son and I with accommodations while at the same time, you know, treat them like you would any other, anybody, any other non-disabled person, like the disability double standard. And then of course, you know, let's not have disability double standard where, okay, if we bounce a check, we get a A and all that slapped on us. But if somebody without a disability bounces a check, <laughs> you don't have all these things coming in, you know, and all this punishment. And Nicole, you've done so much in the field of self-advocacy for the disability community. What would you like to see yourself doing in the future um, in regards to self-advocacy? Be a policy director for a national disability rights organization. A policy analyst, lobbying, a dream of a world free of institutions, no shelter workshops, no segregation, a world of full self-determination, we need more self-directed services, we need our entire system needs to become person-centered and our society needs to start planning and designing for disability. Especially given this pandemic is sending a message. Climate change and disability are not partisan issues. No one is immortal. You know, <laughs> that old saying goes, it shouldn't have to happen to you for it to matter to you. Mm -hmm. you know, it's time that we you know, stop ableism, the racism, and all the homophobia and all that stuff. Now, my organization, Autism Personal Coach, where we provide co coaching to um, those on the spectrum, is a self-directed service. And it's, it's frustrating to me why there are not more of those services available. Do you have any sense of why you feel like we don't have more of those types of services? Our system is, you know, in some ways for profit and control. Like the providers, you know, they don't always tell you you can self-manage your services. They don't want to lose that slot. You know, in some ways, the system's become the new institution. Everything is about the money, money. When, you know, you need to be in about making people's lives better. You know, your job as a service provider should be to work yourself out of a job. In some ways, if you think about it. A absolutely. Well, you know, when, with our clients, I, you know, I'll, I'll tell them our, our goal is for you to fire us. Uh, you know, you've you've achieved everything that you you you've come to us for, and now you know, or you know, and you don't really see a need for our coaching. Correct. Well, well, Nicole, I really enjoyed uh, this conversation. I you know appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Thanks to everyone for listening, and thanks so much to Nicole for the conversation. In the podcast description of this episode, you can find Nicole's contact information if you would like to get in touch with her. You can also find a link to book a free call to learn how Autism Personal Coach helps the people that we support to advocate for the things that they need and want in their daily lives. So book a call with me today. If you'd like to be notified about each week's episode of Autism Stories, we suggest you subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'd also really appreciate it if you could give us a positive rating and review as it will help others to learn about Autism Stories.
On the next episode of Autism Stories, we will have a conversation with the autistic interpreter. Talk to you then.